2: Oh yes, guy. Episode number ninety-three as we edge closer to episode one hundred. Jim Taddy and Perry Left go with you. Perry, how are you this week, sir?
1: You always ask me that question. I always tell you I'm doing great.
2: Well, I just want to be—I want to confirm things, just because sometimes it's—it's it's hard to tell with you. You like to hide your sort of inner self. So we've we've clarified that everything is good to go. Uh, we have Rod Sealing from Team Canada 1972 lined up and will be with us in seconds. Steve Simmons from the Toronto Sun later on and Donato Lanning uh, from Horse Racing, uh, part of the uh, echelon that, that runs... Uh, Moira, the uh, Queen's Plate winner, and, and did not participate in the Prince of Wales Stakes. But there's an interesting story there, uh, and we'll develop that as we go on. Looking for an experienced real estate agent, Charles Park, managing broker Remax West Realty Brokerage, has 27 award-winning years of real estate experience. So looking for the highest level of knowledge, experience, and service, put Charles Park in your corner. Visit CharlesPark.ca or call him or text him at 647-292-8886. Servicing from Hamilton to Kingston, from Toronto to Muskoka. Charles Park will not be at work by anyone. and when you go to fox40shop.com, you will find the Fox 40 Titan, Fox 40 Coaching Boards, the Fox 40 Electronic Whistle, producing 100 decibels at the push of a button. Go to fox40shop.com. Use the code YESGUY for 15% off your order. So 50 years later, spending a lot of time in the last couple of weeks talking about the Summit Series, Team Canada against the Soviet Union, a one-off at the time, and, and a template for where this was going to go over the next 50 years. Uh, part of that team is Rod Sealing, and Rod is with us now. Rod, how are you today, sir?
3: Never better, thank you, and thanks for having me on the show.
2: Our pleasure to talk with you. So when you look back on it, I mean, there's so many firsts here. Uh, the, the very first thing I want to start with is uh, the collection of hockey talent that you sat with in that dressing room was unprecedented for its time, wasn't it?
3: It was. It was a collection of all-stars. Uh, one has to remember that back in those days, they were the enemy. So trying to come together as a team uh, became a bit of a problem and was part of our slow start, I would suggest, but uh, – We overcame that, came together as a team, and uh, made lifelong friends out of it. Rod, this whole thing was a foreign concept, Canada
1: playing the Soviet Union. So take me back to when you got the call. Who who called you and told you you were going to be part of it?
3: Um, I think it was Harry, but uh, 50 years, I've got a great memory, but uh, each year it seems to get a bit shorter. Uh, But I believe it was Harry that called. Uh, I was at home on my farm, and... uh, Come in and uh, just happened to be in the house at the, at the time uh, called. And obviously, it was a great honor. Anytime you get to represent your country, it's a great honor. And of course, it was a great honor to be recognized uh, by your peers to being worthy to, to play for the team.
1: Now, you were fortunate enough to play in that first game, you know, maybe the most memorable game aside from the eighth game, but just because it started off and it was such a dramatic loss. I mean, what happened in that game? Were you guys mentally prepared, or was it just this team, the Soviet Union, was just literally foreign to, to you as NHL players?
3: Well, I, I think a number of things. One, the expectations that uh, Canada was going to wax uh, the Soviets uh, and all eight games was, and that would be a walkover, was unrealistic. I'd played against them many times before and uh, knew that wasn't going to be the case. In fact, uh, when the lineup was posted for so the first game, I went to Harry and, and Fergie uh, bef- uh, beforehand and I asked him, I suggested that uh, we dress six defensemen and we dress five defensemen that, that game. And by the second period, I was uh, skating on my knees, but also w- we weren't in shape. Back back then, uh, NHL players got in shape at training camp, uh, whether it was a luxury or a cheating, whatever you want to call it. We played 20 exhibition games every spring, every fall got to cross Canada tour, whether we wanted it or not, and, and got in shape that way. Uh, summer ice wasn't even around back then. If you wanted to skate, it was impossible. So expecting us to be in game ready shape against uh, a team that had practiced all summer, had played together <clears throat> for years. And then the fact that <clears throat> we, uh, We were playing with guys that were the enemy. We we didn't know them. Uh, We weren't uh, familiar with them. And coming together uh, took some time. In fact, uh, if it weren't for Sweden, we may never have come together. But it was Sweden that was the turning point. Uh, But uh, we we came together as a team, and we finally got in game-ready shape.
2: Yeah, so you refer to Sweden. There's, there's a, I think it's a two-game stopover on on the way to Moscow for the second half of the series, um, and and there was some, I, I want to say, hijinks in those games. They were vicious games, weren't they?
3: Well, they were. But uh, one of the things that brought us together, if you remember, in the first game, Alphys Sterner uh, speared Wayne Cashman in the mouth, uh, and Cash wasn't able to play any anymore. Uh, the next day, the Canadian ambassador uh, publicly. Uh, apologized to the Swedish people for uh, the British Canadian hockey players. If there was anything that cemented and told us that uh, the only friends we had were the ones in the dressing room, that was it. But uh, the Swedes gave it as well as took it. And, uh, uh, but it did bring us together, and it did get us ready to play the Soviets uh, for the next four games.
1: Well, hey, I just want to go back to, like, Game 4, and what Phil Esposito's his memorable speech with Johnny Esau. When did you as a team become aware of of what he had said?
3: When he said it. Uh, I was on the ice with him, the Canadians had Buddhists, uh, and uh, uh, what Phil said was from the heart. Phil was our leader, unquestionably our leader, and what he said, any one of those guys on the ice would have could have said the same thing if they'd been asked, because it was a sentiment that was from the team, and he spoke for the team.
2: Those first four games, I mean, really, that's a book uh, by itself. There's that uh, opening loss uh, on Montreal for my September 2nd. There's the win at Maple Leaf Gardens. There's the tie in Winnipeg and the, the loss in Vancouver. That's that sparks Phil's uh, uh, statement at the end of the game. Uh, I mean, the emotional sway in those four games had to be monumental. How, what do you recall about that?
3: Well, we knew that from that first game that we'd been dealt a, a bad hand. But it was a hand we had to play. We had, we had we had no option. And what we needed was time. And of course, when you take in the refereeing, take up all the things that were against us, and then of course, uh, Canadians felt let down and uh, uh, took their anger, including the, the media. In fact, I might suggest, let by some of them in the media, not all, but at least some uh, who had also felt um, uh, left out because they had written about how easy this was going to be. And when it wasn't, uh, somebody had to pay the price and it was us. So, uh, the emotions for us weren't any different. Uh, one of the things we were able to do is control our emotions. Very well, we knew what we had to do and we knew how to do it. We just needed time to come to to come, first to come together as a team, but just as important, if not more get ready to play because we weren't ready to play that first game and uh, uh, it it took time that's all we needed was time
2: so let's jump to game five Uh, you know obviously there's two games in sweden that that uh, sort of unify the team but you do lose game five and you're in a real big hole there and i think the reports would indicate that even though you lost the team played better there was a hint of something what was the feeling like after after that game five loss
3: we we should have won game five we didn't could have, should have, would have. You can talk all you want about it. But we knew we were the better team by then. And we knew we should have won that game. We didn't. But it didn't mean that we were out. And, and uh, of course, one of the things that uh, uh, we're so proud of as Canadians is that uh, not only do we love to, to play the game, we know how to play it, and we don't give up. And it showed the fortitude of every guy in that room. No one gave up. No one... And, of course, we knew what we had to do, and we knew that Canadians were counting on us, and we wanted to prove that we were the best, and the only way we could do that was by winning the games.
1: Rob, there's been all sorts of stories about, you know, how the rooms were bugged, the food was terrible. You know, how much of that is accurate, and how how did you, as players, really understand that whole thing?
3: Well, you have to remember, this was the middle of the Cold War, uh, when we flew to Moscow, uh, our plane was diverted to the back of the airport. <clears throat> they pushed up a ramp first to uh, embark or debark, and we were met by a squad of, of Russian so- or Soviet soldiers with their guns out. Uh, we luggage finally made it to our rooms that had been searched. So it it was par for, par for the course. We knew what was going on. Uh, it was just some of the distractions. Uh, all the things were true. I mean that uh, the team officials had, had because, and it was true. Uh, I don't know whether the Soviets were trying to starve us or what, but the, the food that we were served, you wouldn't serve to to, to, a, to a pig pen. But they uh, that was what we had. But then they they made arrangements to to ship food in from uh, from Sweden. Uh, steaks, milk, stuff, beer. Stuff like that. Um, Soviets stole half of that to cut the stakes in half. and In fact, uh, years later, when uh, I was back in Moscow, uh, I was re- re- telling the story to uh, uh, a Moscowite, and uh, he admitted to me that he was part of the group that uh, were involved in in the theft. So they did everything they could to throw us off our game, until so they owned the phone's ringing in the middle of the, of the day when you're trying to sleep before pre pregame, a nap, all those things. It was, uh, it was the cold war and uh, that's what you get.
2: So the three games that follow are one goal victories uh, and it is uh, a storybook finish. No question about that. And well-documented. Uh, so 50 years later, Rod, when you look back on it, how did this affect your life? What, what did you take out of this that, that you were able to apply as you moved forward?
3: Well, everyone loves a winner, but it, uh, uh, we wouldn't be talking about this if we had no one. Let's, let's admit that first and foremost. But it, it's it's a highlight. Uh, it, it, it's amazing that Canadians weren't even born back then, know all about Team Canada in 1972. Uh, is it the same today? I'm, I'm not 100% certain. But what made us proud is that Canadians were proud of us. And we did it for Canada. We we didn't make anything. This wasn't a money-making affair. It was an honour to represent the country. We were honoured to do that. And we were proud to come home as winners. And so uh, what I take out of it is, first and foremost, is that I made 30 lifelong friendships. We went to war. This, this, This was a Cold War. We were involved in it. And those... Guys in the room are friends. We have a bond. Uh, I've I've heard tell of people who've really gone to war. Uh, the the friendships, the bond, the, the bonds that they make uh, during their times of battle. Uh, I would suggest that we developed those same bonds, uh, carried it on through the rest of our individual careers, and to this day we're still friends and we will always be friends. And so, what comes to my mind is that for 18 years, Canadians uh, could tell you where they were at three different events. One was the first landing on the moon, the other was the assassination in JFK, and the third was the uh, eighth game in Moscow. So that, that in itself tells you something.
1: Sir, I just want to conclude this by saying that's 50 years later. Is there come a point when it, when it will become too old or is it just too important in the fabric of Canadiana to, to remember that series for what it was for eternity, actually?
3: I can't tell you that. Oh, the We'll have to see. History will play itself out. Uh, I, I would hope that future Canadians remember it, but remember it in a way that what we did, we did for Canada, we did for our way of life. And that at certain times in their lives, they'll have to stand up and be counted. And hopefully, they'll stand up for Canada the way we stood up for Canada.
2: Wow, that's extremely well said. Rod, thank you very much. We really appreciate this. My pleasure. Rod Sealing, Team Canada 1972. If you are an experienced real estate agent looking for comprehensive value and a distinct advantage, contact Charles Park Managing Broker, REMAX West Realty Brokerage, offering state-of-the-art technologies with exclusive coaching and mentoring. For a confidential interview, call 647 292-8886 Two nine two eight 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 six or email charles at com. when you go to the fox40shop.com site you will find hockey products like the fox 40 call fox 40 super 4 cmg don't forget to pick up a copy of the 40 ways of the fox ron foxcroft's inspirational book for new entrepreneurs and business veterans alike fox40shop.com use the code yes guy for 15 percent off your order this is yes guy the radio show on tsn 1050 Welcome back to Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Jim Taddy, Perry Lipko with you. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Financial advisor, Herb Bradley ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, BraleyAdvisors.com. For 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors Incorporated. Check out Fox 40's new premium muscle, the Fox 40 Titan, in a sleek titanium body. The Titan emulates the authentic sound of the Fox 40 Classic. Available now in titanium, gold, or matte black. Go to fox40shop.com. So we continue on talking about Team Canada's summit series against the Soviet Union in 1972. Let's bring in Steve Simmons from the Toronto Sun. Steve, welcome. How are you?
0: I'm very well today guys. How about yourself?
2: Uh, very good, thanks. So I I mean one of the features here is, is your recent piece with, with Alan Eagleson. Uh you know, what what did you like when you look back on it and what he had to say, how would you sum that up?
0: Well, I really wanted to speak to him because he was such an important figure in the planning of the event, all of the event, the putting together of Team Canada, the hiring of Harry Finn and as coach. Um Every, everything that really went into making that series and even going to that final game where where Eagleson basically was getting arrested by the police in the stands because he was uh, challenging the goal judge and uh, and Peter Mahovlich jumped over the bench into the stands basically and grabbed Eagle and pulled him onto the ice with Team Canada in Game 8 prior to the Henderson goal and all that. So I I wanted to get a chance to talk to him. He's 89 years old now. Yes, he has done some things that were sent him to prison for for many wrongs against hockey players and, and embezzlement and things like that. But I really wanted to get his sense of what went on and from someone who was right there on the ground floor of it all.
1: You know, Steve, one word in that article summed it up to me. That was pariah. Because that's basically what he became. I remember George Gross's funeral. He walked in there and people looked like, what is he doing here? Reading the article, it seemed to me that he's either oblivious or he's just full of himself just because he chose to look at it from everything he did and everything afterwards didn't even matter. Didn't even He didn't even care, it seems like. Well, I think he looks at it a couple different ways.
0: How, how much more could he lose than he lost? He lost millions of dollars fighting the charges against him. He lost his order of Canada. He lost his membership in the Hockey Hall of Fame. He lost his uh, ability to practice law. He was disbarred. Uh, He went to prison. So what more could be done to him than was already done? And, And the way he looks at it, and as he said to me, was, you know, what's the best hockey we've ever seen? It's the 72 series. It's the 87 Canada Cup. It's probably some of the world juniors we watched over the years. And I, I'm not quoting him directly in saying this, but he basically said, you know, there wouldn't have been a Canada-Russia series if it wasn't for me. There wouldn't have been a Canada Cup if it wasn't for me. And there wouldn't have been world juniors if it wasn't for me. So basically what he's saying is I changed hockey. Yes, I did a lot of bad things. And whether he's willing to accept them or not, the, the consequences are such that there's nothing he can do to change that. He's 89 years old. He can't change any of that. And as he said, he blew millions and millions of dollars in, in, you know, in legal fees fighting the charges against him, which he eventually wound up in prison for. Uh, and so you can sort of divide the sheet in half and say all of this stuff that Eagleson did was terrible, and yet he made hockey better.
2: You know, if you go back and and if you just change maybe the subject matter and and the names of the people involved and and go just sort of concentrate on on what had to be done to make that thing work and all the, uh, I guess, um, strife and stress that happened during the course of the eight games plus the the two in Sweden and the one in then what was called Czechoslovakia. I mean, that's an interesting sort of spy novel, isn't it? There's some wacky stuff there.
0: Well, I want want to go back even further than that because –
2: I asked him, where did you first start thinking
0: about, you know, international hockey? And he was listening to the World Cup of Soccer on the radio in 1966. And it struck him then, why is there no similar kind of event in hockey? And what his original plan was, was to have a World Cup of Hockey or a Canada Cup, as it later became, not as opposed to a Canada-Russia series which is, which is what 72 wound up being. But it wasn't, uh, that wasn't the original plan in any way uh, when Eagle sort of started on this trail uh, by himself. And there was Hockey Canada at the time, and there was something called the CAHA, the Canadian Amateur Hockey Association. And it was almost like a three-ring circus because the C H A was trying to do one thing. Hockey Canada was trying to do something else. And Eagleson, with no affiliation to either of them, you know, was sort of working back channels to try and get things done. And it took a combination of Hockey Canada and Eagleson to eventually get this done uh, with Joe Kriska out of Calgary. Um, but, uh,
1: but then Eagle became front and center after that. You know, Steve, I've known you for a long time. I said before, I'll say it again I don't know anybody, any sports journalist that works harder than you. Why was it important for you to get this interview? And when you got it, what did you feel like afterward?
0: Uh, first of all, it was important because everywhere we look right now, there are tales of '72 being told. And w- there's a documentary or more than one documentary on television. And there are several books that are now out. And there are, you know, there are so many different stories being told. And I thought to myself, well, the person who probably knows the stories better than anyone else because he was there and because he lived them was Eagleson. Now I didn't know if I could get him. I didn't know if he would talk. I didn't know, you know, we've had a reasonable relationship over the years, but I haven't spoken to him in years and I phoned him and I said, I'd love to interview you for a story. And he said, "Well, I've only done two interviews since leaving prison. One was ten years ago, and one was right after I got out." And and uh, and and, so, and he took a couple of days, and then yeah, he decided, "Yeah, let's do this." And uh, we spent about an hour on the phone. And it was important again. You're not getting a hundred percent truth, although you you never are when you're getting an interview with anyone. You're getting their truth, and in this case. I was getting Alan Eagleson's view. Think of him what you might pariah, criminal, thief. However, um, you can't deny the importance or the role he played in putting on this giant mammoth event that we're talking about 50 years after the fact.
2: Uh, that, that whole process for you had to be uh, interesting to say the very least. So when, when you go back and remember that conversation you had with him, what surprised you about it?
0: Uh, what surprised me was for a man of his age, how he didn't sound like he was, you know, beyond 55. Like he said, he was completely with it. He, uh, his memory seemed sharp. His ability to tell a story was seemed sharp. Uh, if if you've known Eagleson at all over the years, he's the kind of guy that, you know, if you're sitting in a restaurant or a bar, you can't miss him. He's going to be the loud one. And he's going to be the guy that's, you know, talking and telling more stories. And, and you know, he's the guy everyone noticed, which is what, sort of what made him famous, I think, over time. And, uh, and, and he was very much like that in our conversation. And he, you know... You know, was happy to, again, share his belief of the story and his remembrances of the story uh, with me as, as best he could. And his memory was terrific, I thought, n- not knowing what, you know, could have been true and not true.
1: Steve, I'd be remiss if I didn't let you publicize the book that's coming out, your autobiography. and How did it come about? And did you ever think, like, why me? Why would someone want to read a book about me?
0: Well, it, it's actually not an autobiography. What it is, is a, it's a collection of work that's already been written. And it's 40 years of columns. And I've written some 8,000 columns over that period of time. And this is about 85 of them. Uh, so it's a small percentage of what I've done over the years. But what it is, it's representative of history and in particular, Canadian history. So, you know, it's not, um, it's not necessarily about me. It's about where I was fortunate enough to have been to write about Joe Carter hitting the home run, Robbie Alomar hitting the home run, um, Donovan Bailey winning the hundred meters, Usain Bolt winning nine Olympic gold medals. Um, you know, Don Cherry getting fired. Uh, it it's, it's, the events of a lifetime of covering sport. And, and so it's the idea for this came one night. We were sitting around uh, four or five couples were sitting around and playing, you know, what I call the, where were you game? Where were you when this happened? And where were you when that happened? And we were talking about, you know, man on the moon and, and Kennedy assassination and different historical events in our lives. And then we started talking about sports And it was where were you when Sidney Crosby scored or where were you when Bailey won or where were you when when Ben Johnson got disqualified or, you know, all those things? Well, you know, the answer was I was there for for virtually all of those um, things I'm talking about. And so um, it's the article that appeared in the newspaper, in some cases edited a little bit and cleaned up a little bit um, all these years later. Um, you know, for that event, the first column in the book uh, is Wayne Gretzky's last game, and and I and I, the reason I picked that at the time was um, it was right after Walter Gretzky had passed away, and Walter Gretzky passing away was one of the lead stories on the national news, not sports, but news, and I thought to myself, well, the column I wrote of his last game was about the relationship between Wayne and Walter. And I thought, what better to lead the book off than, than you know, the the most famous hockey player in, in Canadian history and the most famous hockey dad. And they sort of just went from there and picked and choose what pieces you'd, you know, put in. And, and some of them are very famous events. And some of them are people you probably wouldn't even have heard of um, that I just happened to like for whatever reason that had been written in a, in a period of time. And, and, and Perry, when when Perry was working for, for the sun and, and covering football, one of his great strengths was he, um he would, he would write what I called the big piece, you know, it was about how, you know, you know, Robert Baker's life, you know, wound up sending him to jail and then he came back and played and started in the CFL and that kind of thing. And the details that went into it, or he wrote about a football player who, who played his final season before passing away with cancer? you know those kind of those are the stories that are in this book, the ones that I was able to do uh and and the ones i'm proudest of over the years um what what you found what I found when looking back um was columns you thought were really good the day you wrote them ten years fifteen years later don't hold up uh, so the the piece had to hold up it had to have relevance and you know, it, it had to meet a certain, you know, priority for me to, to include it in the in the book that once, you know, once I sort of decided that was something I wanted to do, we went ahead and, and went from there.
1: How did you come up with the title? I, I
0: didn't. Um, the publisher came up with the title. I'm still not um, 100% in love with it. Um, maybe I'll get used to it more. What is it? Uh, it's a lucky life. Um,
1: <laughs> I think you've had a lucky life. I think that's.
0: that's- oh, I think I've had a blessed a blessed life. I mean, uh, if someone had told me forty five years ago that this is the, this was the, job I'm going to have for the next forty years, and this is, I'm going to get to travel the world and and write about sports, all over the place. Um, you know, where do I sign up? And and how do I get it? And and. When when a friend of ours, Terry Jones, was um, relieved of his duty, so to speak, in in the summer um, at the Edmonton Sun, I I sent him a note, and one of the things in the note was um, I counted the number of of countries and or cities that we'd been to together. It was 14 countries and 45 cities. And I thought, you know, how do you invent a life like this? and And boy, have I been lucky to be able to do it and outside out honestly outside of the masters, I think i've covered every single sporting event that i would want would have wanted to cover
2: wow that that's a that's a bucket list for sure uh, let's end on on going back fifty years to 1972, uh, and I've had this theory for the longest time that the world spins on the good nature of the human race, um, and, and some of that is certainly in the Team Canada dressing room. How did you Were you able to come up with scenarios where this thing could have gone south or, or maybe it, it could have stopped uh, midway through? I mean, there was a lot of stuff in the air that, that almost prevented the, the inevitable outcome. I don't know if I should say inevitable, but the Canadian outcome uh, turning out the way it did. There were a lot of things that had to go their way.
0: Well, I first got to tell you one story. At the end of two periods, Canada was trailing 5-3 in Game 8. And Eagleson and his equivalent from Russia are walking towards the lounge, and Eagleson says to his the Russian fellow, wouldn't it be great if, if we got two goals in the third period, and we tied the series up and the whole thing ends in a tie, and wouldn't that be great for everyone? And the Russian guy turns to him and says, you know, the rules of international hockey are such... The team that scores the most goals in a tournament is the winner, no matter how many, whether wins it a tie or not. And if that's the case, we win. <laughs> at that point, Eagleson ran to their dressing room and told the players that they have to win the game to win the series. And at that time, they didn't really know that. They thought that if they tied the game, that the series would have ended in a tie. If they tied the game, the series would have ended in a loss. So that's one place where Obviously, that was a factor involved, but the whole thing was what happened in Vancouver and what happened, you know, in Canada and the country kind of turning to a to a degree on Team Canada and then pulling it back and, you know, all of, all of, there's so many different places where this could have gone in a bad direction, and and even you know the whole Bobby Hall, J.C. Trombley, Derek Sanderson thing, where they wanted the players who signed with the WHA to be part of Team Canada. Uh, and, and the NHL owners refused. And, you know, it was a, The NHL owners basically said to Eagleson, yeah, you can have Hall. But if you put Hall and, and Tremblay on the team, we're pulling our insurance of the contracts. Hmm. And, well, Eagleson said, great. We'll look into how much that cost. You know, it took two phone calls for him to realize they couldn't afford to insure the contracts. And so it's back to the NHL and Bobby Hull's out. So Bobby Hall wound up being out of that event a because he signed them to wha but more more importantly because they could they couldn't afford to have the players play with uninsured contracts
2: you know there's going to be many more books on this it's an intriguing subject we really appreciate your time steve thank you very much
0: all right guys enjoy the show always
2: Steve Simmons from the Toronto Sun. This segment is sponsored by Braley Financial Advisors, Incorporated Financial Advisor, Herb Braley, ready to help you with your financial needs. If you want a comfortable and real conversation about your options, contact Herb at 1-877-734-3055 or visit his website, braleyadvisors.com. With 31 years of experience, Herb will help you do what you want to do with your money, get it back to you when you need it the most. Financial clarity and comfort with Braley Financial Advisors, Incorporated. Well, let's talk about advanced planning. Your life, your say, your tribute, and all your way. Turner and Porter Funeral Directors. Let's start a conversation. Visit turnerporter.ca. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050. Welcome back to Yes Guy, the radio show. Jim Taddy and Perry go with you. Homeowners are first-time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG SafeBridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom tailor mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean. Go to SafeBridgeFinancial.com or get a call at 416-885-1761 master your game strategy with fox 40 coaching boards available for basketball hockey football and more use the code YESGUY at checkout for 15 percent off your order go to fox40shop.com so now we go to the world of horse racing going to welcome in donato lanny he is a montreal native managing partner of the canadian oaks and queens plate winner moira and there's, there's much more to this story in fact he's talking to us from lexington kentucky where he's had a, a horse sale so uh, donato first of all welcome in. how are you today
4: um, hey, um, thanks for having me on the show first of all. Um you guys are great. Um uh, great great what you do. I'm doing good. It's um it's King September, um and that means it's uh it's the busiest busiest week of the of the year for uh for buying horses and reloading here in Kentucky. So the whole world is here. Um I don't know if you've been watching some of the sales results, but from uh Monday and Tuesday it's been uh, record high. Um the the market just the, the, the horse market is, is very, very, very strong. We're just looking at the, our short list here. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I could I could talk. I could do both. So I just got off the phone with my oh. trainer, Kevin Atard actually, as well. Uh just what he called. Um, the big mare work this
1: morning. and um, But it's all good. So, Donato, I'm going to ask you a very simple question. How do you know when you look at a horse that that horse could be good and that horse isn't quite you know, isn't quite good enough, or whatever, whatever terminology you want to know. How do you know?
4: Well, you really don't know. Right? I mean, anybody who says that they know it's really—I mean, if you're re- if you are, uh, I think a top top plus agent, you're probably at at a 30% stakes uh, accuracy. And it's hard. Meaning, if you buy three, you're you're good if one out of three is is a runner. You know, but so my point is with, with her. Hold on a second. Do
3: you need to
4: see this enough? We have to. Um, yeah, we'll look at him, too. Okay. Sorry, okay. guys. No, I mean, listen. I, listen, the horse comes out of the stall. Um, this is a year-only stall, so we judge him based on, on you know, a, a shank, and they're walking up and down. And and you judge him by, you know, they look sound. You know, if we, if they look like the type of horse that you could really train on and go two turns. So We're, we're looking for a horse that's going to go two turns, and there's more money offered for two-turn horses. That's why two-turn horses bring more money at auction than sprinters. Um, you know, and and you need to look at a horse and say, hey, is this horse going to be able to go two turns? Is he going to be able to stay down? Does he look fast? Does he look athletic? Try not to complicate it too much and then look at the pedigree. I think when you start looking at pedigrees of horses, you start influencing yourself and you start making decisions that are not how accurate you know um it's, it's a biased decision when you look at a pedigree because there's certain sires you've been lucky with and certain sire lines you've been good with and so you kind of have to like not judge the horse too much by pedigree more of what it looks like um you know what what, what it's got so my point was more uh i mean she was the kind of filly that i was looking for and, and the fact that she was canadian bred helped a lot um I think she would have brought a lot more money if it was not a COVID year. And so we got lucky there um, that she only brought 150 um, You know, and she's bred by a very good farm, for, uh, Adina Springs bredder. I think that's important, too, where they come from. It's really important to know if it was race right, where was it raised. Um, you know, so I mean, those are the, pretty much the, the focal points.
2: You brought a pedigree, and I think at some point uh, anybody would just be looking for northern dancer somewhere in the line. But, you know, the original northern dancer wasn't really highly thought of in his day until he started breeding. So, uh, you must have a list of things that you're looking for. and I, I would imagine personality and, you know, sort of the some, same things that, that other athletes are, are measured by it might be the same for horses, are they?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, if you, if you go look at an athlete and you look at the 100-meter dash, you know, um, I mean, these guys are... Long, slick, athletic. Hussein Bolt, for example. Hussein Bolt is probably the most athletic human I've ever seen, and he's, you know, he he's fast and he's and he's been doing it for a long time too. I mean, he's it's not like he's not a one and done type type of guy. So, just looking for horses that that you know have that same look as Hussein Bolt, basically, uh, as opposed to if he's you know built like a like a linebacker. He's, the linebackers don't stay around too much long in, in the in their careers, you know. So, I mean, pedigree is great. Northern Dancer, most horses go back to some form of Northern Dancer, but you know, Northern Dancer was an amazing, uh, probably the most prolific stallion in, in our time. I mean, it's, he turned out to be the best, the best stallion you know, in the last century, kind of. You know, I mean, he's everywhere in Europe. Um, but but then again, Northern Dancer was a buyback when they took him to the sale. He didn't reach his Deserved. I think they bought him back for you know, $23, 25 I don't know what it was, but it was not a lot of money. And I think they tried to it because he was not a very big, attractive horse. Um, but, you know, I guess they're lucky they bought him back because the rest is history with them. Um, Winfield.
1: Um, you know, this past week was the Prince of Wales. You and, and, and all the people yeah. associated decided not to run it. Explain to the listeners. What goes into the decision making of where to run a horse, where not to run a horse, and in particular with a filly?
4: Yeah. So, I mean, for so with that filly, you know, the goal was to win the Oaks, and we won the Oaks. Then, after she, you know, the way she did it, was very impressive, and and so the next step would be take a shot at. At the Queen's Plate against the boys, and she did that very well. So now we've kind of climbed Mount Everest in Canada, right? We've done really well up there. So the next logical step is is runner against the tougher group. So we're going to go turf. we are decided we're going to keep her. Um, the next next step is is probably go turf, and um, you know we just got to make her. Got to see how good she really is. Um, she worked this morning. Kevin, Kevin worked this morning. He, he had Hernandez on her, and he said she worked in like 58, and that's pretty fast work. Um, so, but he said they did it. She did it by herself. She did it very easy within herself, not stressed. Um, and that's that's a sign of a horse that's just getting better and better. The more you push on her, the more she's responding to more to to a a stronger work pattern. You know what I mean? So with her going, we decide the the Prince of Wales wasn't something that we would go at because we've already, we won the Queen's play. And now being a Philly, we need to kind of try to win the greater race with her and give her that opportunity to run against some better, better Phillies in in, in the States, basically. So we got to, Target something around
2: that area. Donato, we're going to let you go. I know you're at a live event. You're, you're buying and uh, looking at horses. and you know I, I think it adds to the listener experience to, to see that you're, you're working and talking to us at the same time. Thank you very much.
4: Yeah, of course, guys. Anytime. Really appreciate it. Love
2: your show. Homeowners are first time buyers. If you're considering purchasing, refinancing, if your mortgage is coming up for renewal, talk to Dean Romani, TMG, Safebridge Mortgage Solutions. Dean will provide you with custom tailored mortgage solutions for all your needs. You can contact Dean on Twitter at MTGDean. Go to safebridgefinancial.com or give him a call at 416-885-1761. Let's talk about advanced planning, your life, your say, your tribute, and all your way. Turner and Porter, funeral directors. Let's start a conversation. Visit turnerporter.ca. This is Yes Guy, the radio show on TSN 1050.
0: Yes Guy, no Guy.
2: Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, drivers and passengers, time now for the fully sanctioned, all rights, unreserved edition of Yes Guy, No Guy, and Yes Guy at the radio show. Go ahead, sir. If you ever buy a thoroughbred racehorse, you will call it Yes Guy. Oh, absolutely, Yes Guy. There's Yes Guy around the corner. Yes Guy heading for home. Yes Guy wins the plate. Oh, come on. That's a natural. Yes Guy to Yes Guy. Wow, all right, that's a lot of enthusiasm uh, you, there. Go ahead. It's a lot of yes, guys, too, isn't it? And I can do that. Um, you still marvel at Team Canada's rally in the Summit Series against the Soviets. I mean, when you look back on it, I mean, it's it's history, but you still relive it. Yes,
1: guy, I do. But I also know that in uh, the Soviet Union, uh, they end up winning the uh, winning the whole thing. It's a different story completely.
2: <laughs> well, that makes no sense. But nonetheless, go ahead, sir. Serena Williams
1: may make a comeback
2: with Tom Brady. Um, I'm going to say no guy. Uh, I, I think that, you know, there's some emotion there, but but I, I think that uh, it's time for her to, uh, to move on, to evolve out of tennis. I think her, her timing is really good that way, so no guy to that. Um, yes guy, no guy. You picked up major storylines when you attended the Prince of Wales Stakes at Fort Erie earlier this week.
1: No guy. It was just another race. Another Prince of Wales Stakes, no more important, no less important than any other ones I've seen before. That's a no guy.
2: Okay, go ahead. Yes, I, I got that guy. Go ahead, sir.
1: Horse racing is fun no matter whether you win or lose.
2: Oh, yes, Guy. I love horse racing and always have. I think it's, uh, you know, in some respects it's a throwback, but it, it's, uh, I mean, it, it, it's interesting, it's unique, uh, and I really like it. Let's end on this. Yes, Guy, no, Guy, in spite of the Lions making their first uh, loss of the season look good, it'll be same old, same old for Lions fans this year.
1: No, Guy, because I want a reverse script. I want you to be happy. I want the Lions to do something miraculous, and that's why you'll back them for the rest of your
2: life. Well, we'll see, Guy. Thanks for stopping by. Hope you come back next week for another edition of Yes, Guy!